Welcome to Supercharge My Practice, a podcast dedicated to helping you build a thriving and fulfilling natural therapies business. Each week, your host, Anil Mustafa, interviews leading practitioners and field experts, sharing proven tactics, inspiring stories, and actionable steps that will help you unlock your potential. Supercharge My Practice is proudly brought to you by My Appointments Practice Management System. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 20 of Supercharge My Practice. Today, I have the amazing Tammy Guest, who is an experienced naturopath, mentor for practitioners, accomplished speaker, going to call you a trailblazer as well, Tammy, because I think you're incredible, author, mother, artist, and student helicopter pilot. Welcome, Tammy. What a pleasure it is to have you here. It's so good to see you. And um, we spend a lot of time online and it's always nice to see your name pop up everywhere. But now I get to see you and talk to you. It's so fun. Yeah, and wonderful to have you here as well. So I want to dive right in. I want to start by talking about your journey in naturopathy and how you came to be where you are today. Yeah, great. So you want me to dive right in? Let's go straight in. My background is in uh, cancer research, actually. I did my first university degree straight out of high school, and I had a real passion for anything to do with the human body. I find it fascinating. I find all the complex systems and how it all works together really interesting. And um, my first uni degree got me all of those things, except it got me into a lab. So I was doing, um, I actually ended up in a morgue doing um, (laughs) some some work and uh, work experience in a morgue because I didn't actually get straight into a lab. But that gave me a real essence for understanding that uh, the human body is the human body, but there is another part of the human that animates us and innovates us. And there's a life force that is actually ever present when we're alive. But when we're not there, it is just a body, and it's a really interesting experience to be around that. Um, I then got into cancer research, and I spent a lot of time in the lab, which was away from humans, which was another really interesting experience because I really yearned for human-to-human interaction, whereas people who work in labs generally have a different demeanour to that. <laughs> yes. uh, and so I thought, oh, maybe if I got into pathology, uh, I would see more people. And so I got into pathology. I started doing um, uh, both the collections as well as things like blood bank and hematology and biochemistry and coagulation studies and then uh, histopathology as well. So I did all sorts of things in pathology. And, again, it really fueled my love for the human body, but it was really missing the human element. So I restudied as a – I retrained as a naturopath at Southern Cross Uni. And I came out really excited to see all of the humans that I could help. But I didn't realise that it meant running a business. Oh. <laughs> we all know that feeling, don't we? <laughs> yeah. And I was sitting in front of my computer in this nice, you know, rented office space where I was expecting all these humans just to show up because I was ready for them. I was ready for their bodies and I was ready for their humanness. But then I had to learn about business and... At the time, uh, we were at that point in time where um, things were going online. So I was learning about business uh, through tele-seminars and tele-summits and I was uh, up at 2 o'clock in the morning watching people from the US telling me how to run my business. Uh, and then I was trying to implement it and trying to get uh, get as many clients as I could. 
It took about six to 12 months. And uh, then I ended up with a fully um, booked practice. And I expanded and we ended up having a multi-practitioner, multi-room practice, multi-modality, multi-everything. It was a lot to handle. And I managed to get burnt out two or three times because I was seeing oh, 45 to 50 people a week. And uh, I was managing staff and managing dispensary and managing our uh, education side. We had workshops and things like that as well. Um, and I realized what I didn't want anymore. I wanted it until I didn't want it anymore. And uh, I sold my practice in 2015. And uh, I had been seeing students in clinic. They'd been sitting with me and I'd been uh, having an observer for five years. And I didn't realise that was mentoring <laughs> until after I'd closed up my practice and wondered what I could do to help the profession. And so I got into mentoring and uh, since then, yeah, I've helped thousands and thousands of uh, practitioners look after their practices, look after their health and well-being while they're looking after their practices. Uh, I've run conferences and retreats all over the world and uh, I love what I do. Mm, amazing. And I want to just touch on that point too because I was fortunate enough in my final year of my studies, I worked with a chiropractor as a massage therapist and then he decided to leave after that and I took over the business and then had other practitioners come and work with me. So I had, when I'd started and taken over the business, I already had quite a lot of clients but every practitioner that joined my practice, they thought that they would just put a sign on the door and suddenly patients would just start flooding them. Because like you said, you're there, you're ready, but it doesn't work like that. And then it really hits you that, yes, you're great at what you do and you love to help people, but how do those people come and find you? How do they get in your door? And that's that massive puzzle that a lot of practitioners miss. And I think it's something that would be great if we were taught these sort of basic foundational things in school as well. But I yeah. want to dive in now because you've obviously started coming back into seeing clients as well. And you've said that you've found it quite challenging, even though you've had this extensive experience in building a very successful practice. I think you're saying that you're, you had nine practitioners seeing 7,000 patients a year, which is absolutely incredible. So how why, why are you finding it challenging when you've got such a huge experience? You know what to do to build practice because you've done it. So what are you finding challenging about rebuilding your business and then yeah. we'll talk about how that inspired you to take that next step to uh, uh, release the Nat Expo liftoff. Yeah, so I uh, I was away with a friend of mine uh, over in the UK last year and I was really, um, I, I'd lost two of my practitioner friends. Um, uh, they had died about 12 months before. Um, suddenly, you know, really strange occurrences and and. and what I and they were my age. It was the first time I'd kind of lost people who were my age, who I could have been essentially, and uh, it gave me a little bit of a moment to think about if I'm very unique and my gifts and talents are unique and the way my brain works is unique. What are the things that I would be sorry that I hadn't used of my gifts and talents, and what are the things that I have used in the past that maybe I could continue to use in the future to live my life to the best of my ability with the best of intentions with the best of my gifts and talents and uh i had been mentoring for mm, seven years uh, uh full time and uh, i'd been creating courses and i'd been doing all these programs and online and all this kind of stuff we've been running retreats uh, all over the world until uh the pandemic uh, and then I had started to notice how much I missed 
putting the human body pieces together, you know. I missed putting the mental health with the physical health with the energetic health. I just, I'm, I, I loved talking to practitioners about their cases as well as their businesses. And I loved being able to nut out the little puzzle pieces of a complex case for, um, for people and their clients. And I thought, actually, everyone, you know, every fortnight I would get an email from my old clients saying, hey, do you know anyone like you? Because you are really unique in the way that you explain things and I can't find another practitioner quite like you. And I know other practitioners get this all the time as well. And that's why it's so important that each of us, with our unique ways of describing things and and um, our unique ways of helping people, can show up and get in front of the people that need us because we're unique to the people who we're here to help as well. And so I was getting all these emails all at the same time as me wondering if I could use my brain in two different ways. Hello, Universe, speaking to you. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, my friend who I was over in the UK with, who's a very well-known practitioner, she said, well, why don't you just, you've told me to put just a thing up on my website about mentoring. Why don't you just put a thing up on your website about telehealth? And I was like, oh, I'm surprised they could do that. <laughs> I knew what it was like to be coached. So I was like, oh, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> I put it up. And I was booked out for the next fortnight straight after I came back from the UK. Uh, with all of these amazing people that um, I used to I used to help. Now the thing was, putting that up was really um, a bit of a mission in itself. I had to prove who I was. I had to go back to the associations and make sure that I was covered. I had to make sure my insurance was up to date. I had to um, dot the I's and cross the T's of all of these things that I hadn't looked at for a decade. Mm. And in doing so, I started to notice, oh, there's different suppliers and different distributors. Oh, I'm not registered with them because I used to use this other distributor who doesn't work anymore. And, oh, there's these new um, ways of putting people on booking systems and there's new ways of actually getting people information or connecting with people that are through apps and other things. And it was a bit of a minefield to be able to navigate what I actually needed versus all the other options. Back in the day, there was only one option for everything, you know. <laughs> and so you had to just kind of struggle through with the thing that maybe made sense or maybe didn't make sense. And so uh, I started to notice that there was something that we needed to do about that. I started to notice that there were so many little minefields that I had to go through. And I had been in practice for such a long time. I thought, what if newbie practitioners have to do this from the get-go? How on earth are they going to pick what is right for them on every level, whether it's what's right from an association perspective, what's right to cover me legally, what's right to uh, when it comes to telehealth, what, what's right when it comes to a booking system, what's right when it comes to um, a distributor, what's right when it comes to supplements and how do I get all this? these wonderful medicines that I've learned and then what's right when it comes to the best place to have conversations on social media and other places how do I get any of that information when there are so many options out there and if I was having trouble with it uh, how are we going to help all of the hundreds of people who come into our profession to help hundreds more people in uh, their health and their well-being in an easy way that's aligned with them because that's the thing about having all these wonderful options we can now choose things that are really unique to us you know we can choose 
the association that makes sense for us and what our values are and what we need from an education perspective. We can choose a booking system that's super easy to use and makes it so super simple, like my appointments. Um, we can choose all of these um, amazing opportunities to have a dispensary online now so that we can get medicines within the week to our clients straight to their house. And we can do it because it's in alignment with us, that it matches the amount of money that we have to start up, that it matches our values, that it matches. And I had to go through Google and go through all of the forums that we have as practitioners to figure it out for myself. And I thought, we got them all in one room. Pretty fun. And so Liftoff is about getting all of these amazing uh, service providers for practitioners in the one room so that each unique person can find a unique kind of setup for them that's going to help them get out to as many people as they can. Mm, Awesome. And what can somebody expect to learn by attending the expo? I mean, we've obviously covered all of that stuff in relation to setting up their business, but what about when it comes to other topics that you're going to cover? Because I know you've got mindset, you've got the business side of things, like actually getting your first clients. What Mm. do you expect somebody to walk away after they've attended the expo to to feel or what do you think you learn from it? So I want them to walk away with the ability to start up their practice straight away. Uh, At the minimum, via telehealth, they should be able to sign up their first client within the first month of leaving straight away. Uh, We've got mindset. We have all of the right people to talk to. We have, um, we've spoken to all of the people who are there so that you can sign up straight away on the day and not have, like, not have to go through all the weird little hoops that people have to go through usually. We've got three three main keynote speakers on the day. I happen to be one of them. how to make a business plan on the back of a napkin because I had a 52-page business plan from uh, my my qualification that I used as a doorstop for quite some time and then I used it as fuel for my fire out the back of my house. So um, it, it doesn't have to be so difficult. We need to just think about the basics of what you need, uh, the basics of how to make your business make money, and then we have to think about a quick marketing plan to get you that first if not first 100 clients back in the door. Uh, and then we have the amazing uh, Jules Galloway, who is talking about uh, business without burnout. So how to actually do all of this stuff and not get burnt out, not get overwhelmed, finding the right people to support you, as well as having your own tools and mindset tricks to keep you going and not keep you trying to jump out of the fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then we've got the amazing Kira Sutherland who is uh, talking about how to find your voice, how to find your unique voice because it's often we get a little bit uh, tongue-tied when we're talking about ourselves. It's really easy to talk about the human body. It's really easy to talk about somebody else, even other practitioners we find the words for. But if we're trying to fill out an about page for ourselves, oh, my goodness, what a, what a week that is to try and fill out any information about yourself. So finding your unique voice and how to fill it. At things like your about page and uh, your social media so that it actually is authentically you. Mm-hmm. Incredible speakers you've got. And that's coming up 9th of Feb, if I'm not mistaken. It is, yeah, 9th of Feb in Sydney. Beautiful. Now, I want to go back a step because you mentioned this earlier that you opened up your business and you're fully booked within two weeks, which is absolutely incredible, of course, but that's because you had an existing client base. 
So a lot of my listeners are new graduates or they're new in business or they've been in business for five years, but they can't make it work because they can't get that repeat client. So if you've just started your practice and you don't have an existing client base, what would be one of the top one to three things that you would do to try to attract a new client into your practice? Excellent question. So the thing about finding clients is clients are like cars. <laughs> clients are like cars. Let's use the car analogy. Um, I, I also fly helicopters, so I love a good helicopter and aviation analogy. So I love going up 500 feet. And 500 feet, you're able to see the traffic, right? If you've ever watched the news and you've seen the traffic helicopter telling you from what's going on and, and what's going to happen at five o'clock, there's an issue over on the highway. What they're noticing is the flow of traffic has a general way of being at different times of the day and they have a general place that they will all congregate at different times of the year, different times of the day, different times. So there's specific times and specific congregation places. And if we were looking at the traffic outside Bunnings on a Sunday morning, <laughs> outside any, uh, then you've got a car park full of cars, right? First thing, Sunday morning opens up, that's where all the cars will be. Whereas um, mo- the movement of traffic is going to block up in certain spaces at certain times of the day. Like you know, we have a wonderful roundabout that gets onto a main road and at 5 o'clock there's, I'm not, not going anywhere near that because it's completely jam-packed. Similar thing happens with humans. Now, if you don't have a jam-packed road outside the front of your clinic, which means you don't have lots of clients straight away and you don't have a car park in front of your telehealth clinic, you don't have lots of clients just sitting on your email list for immediately, you have to find where those your particular cars that you want to look for are and when they will be there. And so my biggest tip is finding where your favourite clients might hang out. Now, I have a lot of uh, practitioners who are mums and they all stand outside the front of the school drop-off zone and wait for their kids and sign the kids up. There is mums standing there (laughs) available, often asking questions, especially the second that they find out you're a naturopath, herbalist, massage therapist or practitioner, and they'll ask you the most random things. And all, all you need to do is say, Here's the little tidbit that I'm allowed to tell you, which is the tip of the iceberg. But the bit underneath, I have to be more specific about because it's my duty of care as a practitioner. So I have an availability on Friday or Wednesday if you'd like to book in with me. I'll give you the email address. So you're telling them the little thing that they need to know, like magnesium will help with their their cramps that they're having at nighttime and they can't go to sleep. Yeah, it's probably magnesium. You're not going to tell them the dosage. You're not going to tell them all the products and all of the things. You're not going to have a full consultation there out in front of the the, the school drop-off zone. But you're going to tell them that and then you're going to invite them to be able to work with you because, honestly, duty of care says that you do need to genuinely take a full record of their history so that you are taking good clinical case-taking and you're ensuring that you're doing the best for them. Um, so drop-off zones. Uh, speaking events, appearing on podcasts. Uh, it, so you're appearing where these cars are. You're appearing where these people are. 
So people are spe- spending so much time listening to podcasts in their car, on their way to things, while they're waiting in a, a doctor's office, and they hear your voice in there, and then you say, I'm available at tanias.com or I'm available at whatever your uh, address is. Instantaneously, you're making an invite for the people who are in a car parking zone with a whole bunch of other people because you don't currently have a car park full of cars or an email list full of amazing people who want to come and see you. So I think that's number one. Find where your people are and go and appear there, whether it's um, podcasting, speaking at a local school, uh, inviting any random that happen- you happen to come across. I-, I remember when I was first starting out, saw somebody in a chemist and they were about to pick up those weird random gummy probiotic things that like are full of sugar and you know that they're and and they had a little snotty little kid on their hip I hate to interrupt but gosh I've got kids myself and I would hate to think that uh, I would be feeding them those ones when I know down there the, at the bottom down there where you can't see they're actually practitioner only ones and they're fantastic you should definitely try those ones instead it'll be gone in a couple of days I'm a practitioner I just wanted to make sure you got the best oh and then the conversation goes oh so what do you do can I book in with you like that's the it's it's interesting the way that we think we've got to sell ourselves whereas if you're just meeting people where they're at and then inviting them it's a whole different thing Mm. so find where they are go and speak or show up as perfectly imperfect as you can and invite people. So inviting people to your Facebook page, inviting people to your social media, inviting people to come and work with you when you happen to be at a business networking event. An invitation is very different to selling something to somebody. And starting conversation, that's it. That's all you're yeah. trying to do, start a conversation with someone. You don't even need to say, hey, book an appointment with me. It's just no, totally. starting a conversation. And one of the easiest methods that we have now is social media. So yeah. um, you could easily have somebody who starts following you. You just reach out and say, hi, I'd love to know where you found out about me or you know, um, what drew you to my page, something that just starts a conversation. And that's all exactly. you need to do. You don't need to go and sell yourself. And yeah. I think this is something that's really big in our industry. And I know I personally suffer from this as well. But someone recently said this to me, and that is that when you go to put anything out there online in an online capacity, whether it's on email or social media or whatever, are you providing value? Yeah. And if you're providing value, then you're not selling, right? You're just right. providing value to someone that's helping them in some capacity that opens up the conversation for then you to then invite them to book with you or for them to inquire because what you'll find in a lot of cases is when that conversation starts, like in the chemist, that person would be saying to you, oh, can I have your details? I'd like to see you. That's how you start building successful practice, not having to slog away for hours on end on social media and all that sort of stuff. And that or doing the next course on how to build your list. Like, that's so weird. Uh, (laughs) But that tip of the iceberg stuff, like you were saying, you know, the tip of the iceberg of, oh, maybe not that probiotic, but that one. Maybe that tip of the iceberg stuff of, oh, you're following me because you like the picture I put of my family paella or my gluten-free, whatever it is. Oh, great, Here's here's another recipe I've got for you. Or you're following me because you wanted to figure out what was going on with your perimenopause. Oh, here's a blog post I wrote about that. Here you go. You literally just, like you said, giving value and then the conversation continues. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. 
Now, I recently finished reading your book. I loved it. And I wanted to touch on your book because I think you've got some golden gems in there that I'd love to uh, discuss with you. So the book is called Unrestricted, A Modern Guide to Doing Business and Life Differently. And in it, you delve into living an unrestricted life. So I'd love for you to describe what that means to you and how practical is it for someone to have an unrestricted life if they have a practice? Now, I want to break this down into two elements, right? Because you've got your naturopaths who are only online, and I think for them they've got a lot more flexibility to lead an unrestricted life. But do you think you could have led an unrestricted life with your nine practitioner clinic and still had the flexibility to to have the freedom to do as you pleased when you wanted? So let's dive into that and tell us what is an unrestricted life for you and what advice do you have for practitioners who maybe want to free up a little bit of their time to start living a life that's a bit more in alignment with where they want to head in their life? Love it. So, yes, I called it unrestricted because we were living in an age of restrictions. And uh, at the time uh, when I wrote the book, it was actually the beginnings of the pandemic. So the word restriction was being bandied about all over the place. Uh, I had also heard restrictions in what I could do, what I could charge, what I could uh, possibly succeed at in our profession from the day I signed up for my qualification. The day I signed up as a student, I got told that and, and questioned about, well, why would you do that? Like, you're pretty restricted in the amount of money you could make as that. You're pretty restricted with what job you could do at the end of that. You're pretty restricted. Who says? But, but this is an interesting and what I talk about in my book is a rule. It's a baloney rule that somebody has just made up and if I was to actually choose to listen to it and adhere to it, then yes, of course uh, it, there would be restrictions. But if I start to question it and think about what I could do rather than what I couldn't do, and what could I do? Actually, what I could do from a bricks and mortar perspective and what I would do differently now had I have known at the time is created and ensured that the staff management of my business was looked after by somebody who had experience in staff management because that's a whole other thing. Like oh, I was saying, <laughs> you start to learn about the human body, then you start to learn about humans, then you start to learn about business, and then the next phase is learning about humans in business, which is staff management. Uh, and then, of course, you've got a multiple hats in a multimodality practice, and you've got multiple hats as a solo practitioner as well, uh, as a sole trader. But when it comes to having multiple people that you're looking after, there is another skill set for that. And if I'd have put the right person in the role as a practice manager, then I would have had a lot more freedom. I would have had a lot less restrictions that I that I have the sense that I had. So um, when it comes to biz, uh, being a bricks and mortar business, I think having the right people in the right roles, ensuring that you have uh, somebody who is going to do um, staff training and ensuring that everybody communicates well and things like that, that you are looking at systems and processes that can ensure that you don't have a lot of overheads that creates financial freedom. And at the time, I was spending tens of thousands of dollars on a dispensary every month. And because we didn't at the time have access to online dispensaries now we do it would change my life if i was running running something where i could just send out our medicine straight to our clients uh, so having 
overheads that aren't manageable becomes a difficult and uh, restrictive feeling. But now we have technology to look after that. We also have technology to allow us to share our wisdom and our knowledge and our understanding through our own voice and messaging in ways that are training-based for our clients while we're not there. Back then, that was only just starting and you had to get a videographer. It was a very expensive experience to create your own course and uh, teach people about the human body. Even uh, my, my therapists that were, uh, that were working with me now have trainings online for people to look after themselves because they made it during uh, the pandemic years. So there's people talking about the brilliance of a tennis ball and <laughs> the amazingness of having um, toilet rolls filled with paper so that your fascia can be looked after while you're at home looking after your feet. You know, there's ways in which that we can make money while we're not there. So in a bricks and mortar business, it used to be dependent on only you being there and your particular time for money. Whereas now we have technology to look after and create less restriction on that time factor. So you're able to uh, sell products online. You're able to sell your knowledge and your wisdom in courses, in ebooks, in books themselves, in uh, webinars, in trainings, in other things that allow people to access you while they, when they feel like it, when they're ready on a Sunday night and they're ready for a new week and a new body and a new everything. And you're there having dinner with your family, they're able to still watch a training that you've put out for them. So uh, from a business perspective, I feel like being unrestricted in a bricks and mortar business is so much more available than it used to be. And from uh, on an online perspective, it's kind of unlimited. Uh, if you have access to the internet, then and you have a mindset that allows you to start looking for the places that you could do better, that you could reach more people rather than the places that you can't, uh, and working with technology to automate, delegate, eliminate, or um, or pick a date, I think is one of the big things that people get is in a twist about. Oh, I'll get a course out. Oh, I'll do a course eventually. It's on my list to make a course or a membership or a program or something. I've got all the pieces in the back of my computer, but they don't just pick a date to get it done. <laughs> um, then, the, then again, you know, picking a date can make less restrictions on what's available to people and how they actually access you, what your wisdom is, what you share, what your knowledge is. So uh, I believe living an unrestricted life is finding ways that you can do things rather than what you can't do. And uh, I believe living an unrestricted life is questioning restrictions in the first place. I love that. And I I went through something similar. I was uh, 24 years old, just got married. We'd gone off on our honeymoon for two weeks and it was this big deal to leave my practice for two whole weeks. First time I'd ever done it and it was like, how am I going to manage this? But I went away and it was okay. And then about six months later, my husband decided that he wanted to go to Germany for the World Cup. And I'm like, I'm a new, newly married person. I don't want to be sitting at home on my own for six months, uh, sorry, for a month while he's gone. And so I wrote my brother's uh, fiance at the time in and we decided we'd go overseas. And it was this big deal of, oh, my God, how am I going to leave my practice for a month? How is the business going to operate? And am, am, am I going to lose all of my clients? Yeah, but I had this little pre-run of two weeks and it was okay because two weeks is not a long time, but a month. And then, of course, the time when you get back to settling because you don't start straight away, so it's going to be about five weeks. Am I going to lose my practice? 
And I thought, let me just take the plunge and see what happens. And what we often find is when we take the plunge to do the things that we're most fearful of, the end result shows us that we had nothing to be fearful of in the first place. So I think a lot of practitioners can't live an unrestricted life because they're too scared that everything they've built to that point is going to deteriorate simply because they decided to take some time off as well. So I think that's certainly a quite a, a restrictive thing for a lot of people on those grounds. Even if you're in a bricks and mortar business, like you said, it's if you can build your practice around the lifestyle that you have, your patients will just learn to accept whatever it is that you Absolutely. decide to do. We accept waiting for eight weeks for a medical practitioner to, to finally go in and see them. Months for different uh, diagnoses that people are getting at the moment. Uh, literally months, six months to wait for uh, to see certain specialists and things. The same thing can happen with us. And I found too that uh, that whole notion of going away and taking care of yourself, taking care of your family, you come back so refreshed, and people are magnetic to that feeling as well. And you get booked out those first couple of weeks when you come back, and you. Just never really need to worry about it again. But it's that first leap, like you said, it can be so scary. Uh, but on the back end of it, it, it's such a wonderful thing to live through and feel the feeling of freedom on the on the back end of that. I hear that. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of takes us into the next point. It's an extract in your book that I'm going to read that I loved. And it's probably one of the most favorite things that you wrote in your book because I love simplifying shit, right? I don't, I think a lot of practitioners overcomplicate everything. And I do as well. Like I'm a perfectionist and I overcomplicate everything. But it's something that literally after 23 years of business that I've learned in this last week or so, how to uncomplicate stuff. But I find I that. You've got to find a way to simplify things. And even though things are getting out there and they're not perfect, the end result is actually not that drastically different, if at all different, from what you would have done if you'd waited to perfect it. So um, this was something that really resonated with me as well. And it says, when it comes to business, your mindset is the most foundational tool that you have. Let's be honest, everything else you can just Google. And I really, really love that because it simplifies things so much because a lot of the times the reasons why we aren't successful in business is because of our own issues, because of our own mindset blocks, not because uh, there's something wrong with us in terms of running a business. It's the, the blocks that we're having that are stopping us from taking that next level of success. And that is, it is true because if you don't know the answers to something in business like you, like me, when we first started, we're practitioners, we're not business people, but you just find the answers. And in we started, it was a very long time ago compared to people coming in now where they've got all the answers at their fingertips. So I really love that. And I know mindset, again, is something you'll be covering at uh, the expo as well, which I think is fantastic. But as someone who's a practitioner mentor, I'd really like to dive into the mindset challenges that you find a lot of your mentees face and what mm. kind of advice you'd have around that. Yeah, so uh, one of, yeah, from the mindset perspective, we have a, uh, I want a better term, an epidemic of uh, inferiority complex. We are so wonderfully attached to uh, thinking that we're not great at stuff and that there is someone better out there and that we have um, haven't got all the answers and that we can't possibly figure it out and somebody will be better at it than us and why would anyone want to come to us? And uh, it spirals into comparisonitis, which um, bless social media for all its wonderfulness to get us to our potential clients. And also when we aren't seeing potential clients, we do not just 
to go and check out what everybody else is doing and then compare ourselves. So comparisonitis is uh, one of the next ones. So that whole um, not good enough is initially, then there's the comparisonitis that puts us into a spiral of procrastination. So I see those three as the the three biggest things that uh, the people that I work with, um, the practitioners that I work with generally get stuck. Um, the first one comes from uh, being in a profession where we consistently want to learn and we are the type of people that love learning. We always think that there is something more to learn. It's one of the reasons that we our CPE is always huge because we've spent so much time researching for our clients. We've spent so much time trying to keep on top of the next wonderful thing that is going to help people. But in the process of thinking that there is always going to be something else to learn, we can flip that same coin and see that we don't know all of the things. The beauty of having a profession that has so many people in it and health in general and, and medicine, uh, not just natural medicine, is that it takes a village. It takes so many eyes on the little, like so many facets on the diamond that is a client that we can have our particular viewpoint and our particular way of doing it uh, that helps in all of the facets that make up that particular person and all of the people that are actually helping that person be well in their journey. And we just take up that tiny little spot. So I think a mindset shift for um, the fact that you are always going to want to learn more doesn't mean you know less. Mm, I love that. The second one is the comparisonitis. So comparisonitis is one of those big things that um, I find just stops a lot of practitioners in their tracks because the grass is always greener, so-and-so does it better, they look like they're so successful, but social media is such a warped, weird, wacky thing to, you know, if you actually know the behind the scenes of the vast majority of these people's lives, that's one little fragment of their life. And it, and you're thinking that that equals success, but there's the other 99.9% .9 of their life that you have to take up as well that goes with that perceived success. There's a bunch of other stuff that's hidden behind the scenes. And I love being around other practitioners to have these conversations because they go, oh, I actually know what's happening in that person's life. And, oh, gosh, my heart goes out to them and their family or my da da da, da. There's so many more facets that you don't see. Comparisonitis, the trick to it is create before you consume. Create before you consume. That comes from uh, Marie Folio and... The thing about comparisonitis is often we are consuming lots of information and lots of data points from everybody else. But if we were first to stop and create something, we would be so busy actually staying in our own lane, sharing our knowledge and sharing our wisdom that we wouldn't have the time to wander off into somebody else's lane while nobody's looking after our lane. So if we can stay in our own lane and create first and then you're allowed to consume, you won't actually care as much about the other people's stuff because you've actually made a blog post, you've made your own social media post, you've reached out to somebody, you went and did a talk somewhere, you got your talk ready, you did all these other things because you were creating rather than consuming the comparison. And lastly, the procrastination. Oh, my goodness, bless the procrastination. <laughs> so procrastination, my uh, mindset trick for that is, uh, like I mentioned before, um, delegate, eliminate, automate, or pick a date. So pick a date is the big one. Like if you just picked a date for the thing to get done, and we're so used to it having somebody else being in charge of our work 
if you've ever had somebody who is an employer of you, they're your boss and they will pick the date and you just show up and you do the thing for the date. You have to put boss pants on for yourself when you're a solopreneur and you have to pick a date by which that thing will get done and you put it in your calendar and you act like it's an appointment and it has to get done by then. Mm, great advice there. And I just want to touch on something slightly unrelated, but in my view, well, I think it is related. And Ooh. that is the whole comparisonitis of seeing these practitioners that have got massive followings and they've got all of these reels that are getting lots and lots of views. And then that is the thing that starts triggering you into going, oh, well, I'm never going to be like that. It's going to take long to get there. But I personally, I'm not a big social media person. I don't like it. I actually wouldn't be on social media at all if I didn't have a business. But I think it is essential in today's day and age to have a social media presence, not only because it helps with SEO, but it's typically one of the first point of calls when someone wants to find out more about you is that they do go to your social media pages. But just because somebody has a lot of followers or just because they've got a lot of views on their reels does not mean that they're successful or they're getting bookings out of them, out of those reads, right? Completely correct. And I've seen the amount of practitioners that I actually know. (laughs) I I run a very large practitioner group. We've got 6,000 practitioners in there. The ones that are the beautiful ones that spend a lot of time on the computer, the ones that spend a lot of time in front of, uh, you know, dancing or wearing outlandish costumes or being right on the the trend that's happening on social media, they have time to do that often Mm -hmm. enough. Well, they've got a team behind them as well in some cases. Exactly. Exactly. So they either have uh, a big team, so they're paying a lot of money to do that, uh, or they have time to do that because they're not actually seeing a lot of clients. But um, And sometimes it's pure luck. Pure luck is beautiful. I love it when somebody goes, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just did this thing and it randomly got picked up by Instagram or whatever it happens to be. But the thing about it is there is so much happening behind the scenes of these algorithms and all this other stuff. It's all good and well to get that kind of following, but I've also seen practitioners who are truly in alignment with their message and are just sharing from their hearts, from their families, get picked up and be viral, and it's one of the worst things that actually happens to them. They are devastated. They get, you know, trolls and all sorts of things. We're in a a really interesting space of health because of what we do because of how we present and there is a lot of people who are against the style of health and well-being that we promote and there are a lot of people who are and a lot of bots and things that connect with particular words and then they start hammering um not so nice comments or they start sending it to different uh groups and those groups can piggyback on top of it and so the viral element of it as much as we want it we want to see views on there and things like that and it's a numbers game and all those things that we get told it has both sides to it and that's the thing, you've got to take both sides with the um, uh, the amount of exposure that you have. One of the little things that stands out for me, uh, one of my original coaches, business coaches said, was there is no great glass elevator. You have to take the stairs. And the truth is, if you shoot right up to the top, we're not ready for all of those comments. We're not ready for necessarily all of that influx of clients if we don't have our systems in place and our, our platforms in place. We don't have our staff looking after everything. Like there is step by step by step on what we're ready for, what we're capable of stepping up for, what we're capable of talking to, speaking to, how to handle things. And that's why it does take an incremental amount of time because our mindset has to shift with that 
and shooting up that far and and thinking that that's going to be the be all and end all of success and being booked out it just it's it's a bit of a a myth a lot like the the Willy Wonka one so yeah, yeah. And it's also the fact that if, let's say you put a video of yourself dancing and it was really funny or something, there was something about that video that sent it to go off and you got a lot of views and someone resonated with that because they found it funny, for example, they start following you. But your content isn't about creating funny content, right? So someone starts following you, great, you've gained a new follower, but that is not your ideal client. That's not somebody who's ever going to book in with you. So you start picking up all these new followers who aren't your ideal clients and you're putting out more content, but you're not getting the engagement and reach from that person because they're not your ideal client, they're not resonating with you, that in itself affects your algorithms, right? Because if you've got lots of followers but you're not getting engagement, is Instagram going to see this as you buying fake followers or finding fake followers? Are they going to know that maybe those people genuinely found you but they're not engaging with your content? So if if they're not engaging with it, maybe the content's not great. Therefore, your organic reach is going to go down as well. So I think there's that element that practitioners don't realise. They want, I I think some of it's, this might be a bit controversial to say, but I think it's vanity. It's that they want other people to see that they have lots of followers because that means that they're successful. Yeah, and and yeah, it is known as a vanity vanity metric or an ego metric. Um, it's not a financial metric. You're not actually getting profitability from having those amount of followers there. And a flow and effect of that is when you do actually have the money to put into uh, advertising and things like that, your following is the basis by which you choose who you're going to send that uh, data to, who you're going to send that advertisement to. And if those, if that following isn't genuinely people who are going to sign up for your next thing or uh, purchase from you, then you're wasting a bunch of money on advertising that is getting to the wrong people. So, yeah, I completely agree. Great point. Love that. Now, slightly off topic, uh, but it's something that you mentioned in your book, and I really love this too because it was an element that most people don't think about, that, and that is about pricing because especially now there's all this extra pricing that we're all exposed to with the economy, economy the way it is at the moment. So I think a lot of practitioners are at that point where they're thinking about putting up their prices as well. But, oh, my God, that overwhelm, that feeling, we all know it. We all, What are my patients going to think? What are they going to say? Am I going to lose all my, practice, uh, my patients? But in your book, you talk about the fact that you doubled your initial consultation fees overnight and the result was actually more motivated clients, which is in itself is quite phenomenal. So what advice do you have for practitioners who are struggling to raise their prices and um, how to communicate raising their prices when they decide to make that plunge and do so? Mm, Great question. Raising your prices is a mindset issue and... um, Money mindset is a wonderfully nuanced and ingrained, really interesting programming that we have from day dot, the second that we heard the word money or that we felt somebody's experience of having to pay for something and we were empathetic to that. We have an imprint of what that feels like. And depending on how you grew up, you're going to have a different type of imprint on what that feels like. And so when you are asking for money (laughs) or payment or any of those types of things to do with money, and that is part of running a business, that's the definition of running a business is the transfer of money for the value exchange, Um, there is something else that happens there energetically. If you're not energetically aligned with what you're asking for, then it can be really icky. 
And I've been in that experience the first time that I ever had a client and I had my FCOS machine out in my hand and I was so ready and I was like, it's 50% off today. It's only, <laughs> I was just so because I didn't know what to say. And I was like, and then I made it weirder. It was so strange. And it wasn't until I did some mindset work and understood and started uh, uncovering some of the stories that I had around that and and how I noticed it made other people feel, not just me feel, that I needed to clear all that out of the way. So uh, my favourite, one of my favourite authors on this is Denise Duffield-Thomas. She's got a great book uh, and a great course uh, all about money mindset. Um, But... The basic part of what you were just describing is that when I double my initial consultations, my follow-up consultations, the people that I've already helped, the people who are already there, nothing changes for them initially. It will incrementally go up after I've put the initial consultations up because otherwise it doesn't quite match. But I'm not doing anyone a disservice who I'm already serving. And I think that's one of the things that gets missed when we're like, I can't possibly put my prices up. No, the people that you already know, love and trust you, you don't have to change anything for them. It's new people who are coming in who were generally people for me at the time were people who were, weren't following up, who weren't coming on time or would cancel at the last minute, who wouldn't uh, be compliant and do what I asked them to do. Um, that was going to help them anyway because they didn't value what I was actually suggesting to them. And so there was little symptoms of me not valuing what I was doing by not putting my prices up to where I knew it was was right for me and them not valuing what I was saying. And so instead somebody had to move and I knew that it was me. And so by doubling it, similar to the experience of going away on holidays for a month and you thinking, but the truth was I got the best clients out of that and yes it was weird and yes I had to slow down but all my follow-up clients continued to come it wasn't like that that uh, part of my income changed it was just the initial consultations and within four weeks that was back up to normal anyway. It was a transition period for me being able to describe things, being able to you know, make sure that I had everything on track for my follow-up clients to be able to describe to new clients what my new prices were. But it didn't change anything. And people were so much more receptive to what I had to offer and uh, so much more uh, compliant. It was amazing. And even if you do end up increasing your prices for your follow-ups as well, it's not like a client who loves you is going to leave you because you put your prices up by five, five by five dollars and then go start their entire journey with a whole new practitioner that charges five dollars less. It does not. But, and, and they've particularly chosen you for who you are. My other little trick, if you want to put your follow-ups up, is uh, offer your three three follow-ups for the exact same price, and they can use it in the year. Uh, and so they buy a bundle of your, your follow-ups at the same price because it'll go up at the end of the month and then they'll have to pay for it. So then you're able to offer them exactly what they were going to come and see you for anyway, but at the price that it currently is. And then you get a nice influx of money to make sure that you can then show up for the clients in a way that feels really nice, like you've already looked after and how would you communicate that? Would it be an email? Would it be a sign on your window? Would it be telling patients? Yeah, so uh, email is the best way. Um, you know, uh, so what are we up to? 
by the end of February, um, because it's a leap year, it's time to leap. I haven't put my prices up for the past three years and I, now's the time. If you'd like to get in before the uh, leap year date, I've got a special bundle. You can buy three uh, for X price, um, but then it'll go up to Z price after that. If you'd like to buy those three here, click here. That's on your email. And then at your reception, if you've got a, um, a bricks and water, you put a little sign that says basically exactly the same thing. Ask us about our, our bundle. We're, going, we're making the leap for the leap year. <laughs> and putting up your prices. So, um, And then these need to be booked in by the end of 2024 because we're so committed to having you on your health journey and being as healthy and happy as you can for this leap year. Mm-hmm. That's that kind of process, whether it's email. Um, it's Instagram stories also helps. I find that um, if you are somebody who has a following on Instagram, people generally watch the stories uh, and, and do a flick through. Uh, for spare appointments, you know, last-minute cancellation, here's the new pricing that's available at the end of the month, here's the special offer, and then you don't actually have to have it on your feed permanently as well. Mm, I love that. Again, it's so simple and it's just a matter of just do it once and once you've taken that plunge, you'll find the next time it's going to be a lot easier when you do need to raise your prices in a little while after that as well. Tammy, it's been a pleasure having you here today. I absolutely loved our conversation. I'm going to finish off with the same question I ask all of my guests, and that is if you were to give just one piece of advice to natural health practitioners aiming to build a successful business that they love, what would it be? Focus on what you can do, not on what you can't do. Excellent. I love that. Now, how can our listeners find out a little bit more about you, your book, and, of course, the expo coming up? Everything is at TammyGuest.com or you can follow me on socials at TammyGuest with an S on the end. Uh, I'm super excited to have spent today with you. Thank you so much for everything that you do for the profession, whether it is um, the amazing software that you do, the connections that uh, you create, the positive mindset that you share. I have absolutely loved our conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tammy. And the links to your socials and your website will be in the show notes as well. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Thank you for tuning in today and I look forward to having you join me in the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest releases and for more helpful tips, look for me on Instagram under the handle Practice. This podcast is proudly sponsored by my appointments.